This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Sounds a little bit different. We're not in the perfect little studio. We are here on location in St. Louis at the uh, the convention center here for SEEK, which is the conference put together by FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And I have to tell you, this is quite the experience. There are religious and uh, secular priests all over the place. There are sisters. There are all kinds of orders, uh, colleges being represented, just uh, 17,000 students here worshiping God, and it's really quite amazing. But one of the benefits to being in a place this big is you get to be around a lot of vocation directors. In fact, I don't think I've seen this many vocation directors in one place ever. Now, I know that they've got like associations, they have their own meetings. I haven't been to those yet. Uh, but this is just truly an amazing thing. And it got me thinking, um, the conference is called SEEK. And, and part of what we're seeking is we're seeking after the presence of God and seeking to know uh, what God's will is, to be in the center of that will. Uh, rather than, you know, follow your heart, follow your nose, follow your dreams, we want to follow after the presence of God, wherever that might lead us. And so it got me thinking about the process of discernment. And so I thought, well, let's have a conversation with a vocation director. Uh, we're talking today with Father Sean Haggerty. He's the the, uh, the associate assistant, assistant director assistant. and promoter of vocations for the East USA province of the Society of Jesus. Uh, the Jesuits are known just a little bit for the process of discernment. Discernment is, is one of the hallmarks of Ignatian spirituality and of uh, what we do as Jesuits. Uh, yeah. Figuring out that that vocation, where are we called and what are we supposed to do for Christ our Lord? So I wanted to talk to you specifically about, before we get into discernment writ large, you're a later vocation. You spent time uh, in in the world, as it were, as a layperson, uh, seeking to live out your faith in a very particular way. I'm curious, what did your discernment journey look like to bring you from that full-time job doing what you expected to do into now not only the priesthood, but a religious order and a very vigorous process to the priesthood at that. So I, I think you're right when you said I was later vocation. I entered the Jesuits when I was 28 years old. Uh, and before that I had served as an army officer and I had worked logistics for Budweiser. And I think for so many people, especially of my generation and of this, of Gen Z and younger, there's a particular narrative that we're told that we have to follow. And the narrative is pretty simple. You go to high school, you work hard, you go to college, you get the best job you can get out of college. Then you maybe you get the promotion or you go to grad school so you can get the bigger promotion. You find the right girl, you settle down, you get married, you get the white picket fence and you put it out in front of you and that's all well and good. But there's not a lot of thought that goes into that. There isn't a process of discernment, which is part of that because it's kind of inculcated. There's, there is a pathway that you, are, that you expect yourself to walk on and that society expects you to walk on. You don't really have to think about it other than to say, do I, am I happy in this job or do I want that job? But not really, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, and the thing is, I talk to high schoolers all the time and I said, okay, you're in high school now, what's next? And they say, college, what's after that job? What's after that? And they list off these things and never does it cross their mind that that is not the exact way that their life has to progress. And so there is an interesting 
dynamic at play. And the dynamic was true for me. I went to a Jesuit high school. And like a lot of guys in my generation, I was kind of lukewarm about my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Mass on Sunday with my mother because she thought it was very important. And I went because my mother is Latina. And if I didn't go, it would go poorly for me. So I decided to go. Yeah. And I met some Jesuits in high school and I thought they were interesting guys and good guys, but I never connected with them mm-hmm. in a particular way. And I went to Fordham University and I was going to go into the army because my senior year was 9-11 and I was in yeah. lower Manhattan when that happened. And so right. on my mind was becoming a soldier. And I met these young Jesuit scholastics who were studying philosophy at Fordham. And I had always thought that priests, the reason that you became priests or you became a religious is because no woman would have you <laughs> and that you were, <laughs> you were somewhat awkward. And yet these men I met were intelligent guys. They were on fire for their faith. They knew what they wanted to do with their lives. And I, as a 19-year-old college sophomore, really didn't. And one of them convinced me to go on a silent retreat, which I thought was a good idea because I had offended a young lady who was also going on the retreat. And I thought that she would think me a good guy if I went on the retreat. Um, And of course, they figured that out too and put me in a building far isolated from the other retreatants where I prayed. And that's where I really had the beginnings of my vocational journey at 19 years old as a college sophomore at Fordham University. Um, But it wasn't immediate. It wasn't a bolt of lightning out of the sky. It was this inkling that perhaps this glide path that was on, which was for me, high school, college, army officer, right. wasn't the only way for me to kind of be in the world. Well, I'm interested in this topic because I, th- I think so often we hear um, discernment, and specifically as we're talking to young men, have you discerned? And the assumption is that a few men will discern the possibility of priesthood. Uh, a few uh, young, young boys uh, or young men will spend the time to think through what are the possibilities of life. Um, but I used to be a marriage and family life director, and I was just struck by how many people did not discern marriage. It simply, it was the next step, and if they, if that was the next step, ipso facto, this person right here is the person I would most want to do it with. And they might even have not discerned the person. It was just that they had an impulse or a passion or a desire for that person. But we see so many marriages struggle because they get into marriage and it, was, it does not meet their expectations because they didn't take the time to discern what marriage actually was and if that was actually their vocation they simply had a set of expectations that had been handed on to them that they were following and then eventually no matter what reality is going to set in and if you didn't take the time to discern what that reality is reality is going to win the battle between your expectations and reality every time and i think I think that there's such a powerful current within that. They, the going with the flow is much easier yeah. than honest discernment because discernment requires a lot from us. Mm-hmm. It requires that we disconnect, that we step out of that flow for a moment and really consider what are all of the possibilities that are open to us. And so when we talk about vocational discernment, oftentimes I will meet men who say, well, I've always known I've wanted to be a priest. And I've said, well, have you ever discerned marriage? Have you ever discerned a relationship? And they go, no. And I go, well, I need you to discern those things yeah. too. Yeah. And I think the inverse happens where there has been no discernment for so many young Catholic men or young Catholic women about religious life, about priestly life for the men. 
because that's not something that anyone's ever told them was a, a viable option. Hmm. Or it's been expected that that's the only option, and so they want to push against that and just swing to the other side. Exactly. I, I, I look at this, and I'm, I'm struck by discernment requires us to be vulnerable, and we don't like to be vulnerable with anyone, much less with ourselves. There's an, there's an intimacy with ourselves that we fear if it gets too quiet. Well, and I think, and I think being honest with ourselves is the second one. So, you know, for me, I left the Army after a deployment to Iraq. I, I, I'm proud of my service in the Army, but being deployed to Iraq was a difficult thing. I was with an infantry company, and I realized that wasn't what I was being called to, but I went right back into that glide path because I wanted to get married, I wanted to have the wife, I wanted to have the good job, and I got a decent job, and I was dating a, a good woman. Um, but I wasn't being honest with myself because it wasn't bringing me joy. The job wasn't bringing me joy, the relationship wasn't bringing me joy, but it was what I was supposed to be doing. And so often it's easier to to kind of suppress those thoughts that that I'm not, I'm not experiencing joy and think, well, if I just did more, if I just leaned into this path a little bit harder, then I'll find the joy. It's, it's the next promotion. If right. it's not this girlfriend, it's the next girlfriend. Yeah. It's, it's not this car, it's the better car, the faster car. Mm. And so often we fill our, our world with stuff, with things, with trips, with events, because if we just keep doing that, maybe eventually, if we fake it enough, we'll make it. But right. that's not how discernment works, not how a vocation works. And eventually I got to the point where I realized that I couldn't fake it anymore. Yeah. I, would, I remember I stepped into, I was working in Los Angeles and I stepped into the Jesuit parish, Blessed Sacrament on Sunset Boulevard, and there's a statue of Ignatius and I was so afraid and angry mm. because I wanted so badly for the, for the girlfriend, the wife, I wanted that to work because I wanted my mother to be happy and I wanted, I wanted my family to be proud of me and I wanted this very kind of what I considered simple life yeah. uh, because that's what was expected of me. And That sounds a little bit like St. Ignatius' story, honestly. Yeah. The, this, the soldier who had certain expectations of, of uh, acclaim and of hero, uh, heroism and of... Uh, the, the the beautiful life, right? Well, I mean, he said it himself in his autobiography that in the first 26 years of his life, he was given over to the vanities of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I, at 28, not much older than Ignatius one when he started his spiritual journey uh, after that incident at Pamplona, uh, when I was at and when I was that age, I. I desperately wanted it to be otherwise than it was. And the thing with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is completely relentless. Yeah. And if you spend the time in prayer, if you open yourself to it, the Holy Spirit will not let you go. And thankfully for me, I was going to Mass. I was participating in the sacraments. I was trying to pay attention to what God was calling me to. Um, and the day that I decided I was going to apply to the Jesuits was one of the scariest days yeah. of my life. Okay, so let's take two steps backward. Mm -hmm. um, discernment requires that we're honest with ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and I have experienced this. I know other people have as well. Intellectually, we get to the place where it's like, okay, I have to be honest with myself. And you kind of try to flex that muscle and you're not sure where the muscle is to flex. How do we take that step? What, what does it look like to be honest with ourselves? How do we put ourselves in a place where we are 
better disposed to that honesty and vulnerability. You use a great word there. You say disposition. And the thing is, uh, like working out, like playing any sport, or it is something that we have to build over time. No one decides they're going to pray on the first day and becomes excellent at prayer. Prayer is the work of a lifetime and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is true of discernment, which prayer is a fundamental part of. Uh, St. Ignatius um, has every Jesuit twice a day pray the examine, the examination of conscience. Basically, it's a review of your day to see where the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, where you have kind of aligned yourself with God's will and where you have stepped away from that asking for forgiveness for those moments you stepped away from it and being appreciative and being filled with gratitude for all of those gifts that God gave you and those moments when you conformed to God's will. If someone wanted to pick up that practice mm -hmm. and begin praying the examine twice a day, is there a location where they could, maybe online, where mm -hmm. they could find a copy of that examine to kind of guide them through that process to pray it. Oh, absolutely. So the, the Society of Jesus has a global website where the examines included, but also the province, the, the East Coast province uh, website will have one. And our vocation site, beajesuit.org, would also have access to some of our, our prayer tools. But what, what that practice does is it disposes you to paying attention where the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. And a lot of other orders do this in different ways. So the Dominicans have their way of doing it. The Franciscans have their way of doing it. The Benedictines have their way of doing it. Diocesan priests have their way of doing it. And Ignatius certainly has his way of right. doing it. But it's making, giving that moment up and saying, where is the Holy Spirit calling me? And being able to listen. Mm -hmm. And developing that muscle of listening to God is one that takes effort and takes time. Yeah. Father Sean Haggerty is, again, the assistant director and promoter of vocations for the East USA, the USA East province of the Society of Jesus. I want to talk a little bit about this, this pressure of being honest with ourselves. And in one part, there's a difficulty of honestly acknowledging where we are and what we're feeling. But on the other side of that, there is this aspect of self-talk that goes along with that, mm -hmm. of reminding ourselves and encouraging ourselves with prayer, with scripture, with, uh, with truth um, that helps us to discern. So for instance, if we're on that pathway, that we were, the, the kind of the status quo pathway, and we're feeling a little bit down, we engage in self-talk. Oh, well, the next one will be better. Right. But there is a way to have a healthy self-talk if you're feeling like, you know, God can't call me because of all of these things in my life. You can say, you know what? I'm going to, to tell myself again the kerygma that, that Jesus loves me and loves me so much that he took on flesh, became one of us through the incarnation for the purpose of reconciling me back to the Father. I, I do matter. It is good that I exist. And God isn't out to get me. Right. right? Not, at least not in a negative way. No. No, God, God is certainly out to get you, to bring you closer to himself. Mm -hmm. uh, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius uh, walk you through in the first week is about identifying something. And Pope Francis said it in one of his first interviews. He said, well, he was asked who he was. And he says, my name is Jorge Mario Bergoglio, and I'm a sinner who is loved by God. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding those two things. One, that I am flawed and that I am imperfect and that I struggle in this world. And at the exact same time, even in the midst of that, perhaps because you're in the midst of that, mm -hmm. the Lord loves you yeah. and continues to love you. 
And that's the fundamental identity where we start. We are imperfect beings who are loved by a perfect God. I grew up in a Protestant denomination that still flirted with, although they would never say that, still flirted with a little bit of semi-Pelagianism. Mm -hmm. Like if I just do enough, and I, and I meet even some Catholics who through the process of cultural experience of Catholic guilt, mm -hmm. they think that if I just do enough, if I pray better, if I do my devotions every morning and oh, oh I missed it today, I've got to start all over from the beginning. And if, if I spend enough time doing good, then God will love me. And, you know, that's one of the tricks that the enemy puts before us, mm. says that it's our work and our job and something that we have to do in this particular way. And of course, it's absurd. Yeah. It's absurd to think that somehow we are, we are going to manifest grace in our life. Grace yeah. is given by God. Christ is the one who calls us to himself. And the idea that if I, if I prayed the rosary just this way, in this particular way, then God's mm. grace would be present to me. Yeah. Well, that's absurd. God makes his grace. If we're disposed to it, that's a different thing. Right. But manufacturing grace is something we're not capable of doing. I had a conversation and, last week with an Eastern Catholic and mm -hmm. brought up some of Maximus the Confessor and the idea that even if there was not original sin, God's plan would still have been the incarnation because there's an intimacy in the incarnation that goes beyond just saving us from our sins. Right. That love is there inconsequential to the sin that's, that we struggle with, that God loves us it, full stop. And, and God knew what we would be when he created us. Yeah. Jesus knew all of us before he decided to become incarnate. And this is why that beautiful prologue of John's gospel speaks to us so, so deeply. Yeah. It's because that word became incarnate knowing full well exactly who we are. And that love never flagged. And as St. Paul tells us at the end of Romans, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And if we really believe that, then that false talk which we give ourselves, oh, if I get this new thing, if I do this thing one more way, if I pray in this particular right way, that voice diminishes. Yeah. Because we realize that nothing we can do will ever separate us from God's plan for us or his love for us. So th th there's two things going on here. One, there's that intellectual knowledge to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. But that does not always immediately come with the acceptance of that at a spirit level, the, the acceptance that it is good that I'm here and that God loves me and to experience what that love means apart from just the proclamation of that. How have you found in your own walk and journey and discernment process, what are the practices or the, the things that you have experienced that have helped those truths become more real to you? I think first and foremost is encounter with the word is encounter with the Gospels. I love the Apostles. Because the Apostles, if you look at them objectively, are screw-ups. And the two greatest Apostles, Peter and Paul, are examples of screw-ups. Yeah. And Peter is a beautiful person to model yourself after because one moment you are Messiah, you are Lord, and the next moment Jesus is telling them, get behind me, Satan. Right. One moment he says, I will be with you regardless of what happens, and then he's running. Yeah. And then he's the one who's jumping into, the, uh, jumping into the lake and swimming to Jesus. And then we get the famous quo vadis as Peter is running from persecution in Rome. And Jesus tells us he is walking back into Rome to be persecuted once again. Yeah. It's, it's this constant back and forth. And so if St. Peter is the rock upon which Jesus built his church, 
then surely he could do something with me, flawed as I am. That he's not seeking perfection, he's seeking someone who desires to be with him, which is really that core. And the, I think the second thing that would be that would match up with that is the sacrament of reconciliation, yeah. is confession, is is going and throwing yourself at God's mercy in those moments when you have messed something up and realizing that if you do that, God will always accept you back. So, let's say I haven't been to confession in 10 years. And last time I went to confession, I felt worse after I left the confessional than I did before I went in because maybe Father said something that he didn't realize felt insensitive to me. Mm -hmm. Or maybe uh, he called me out on something I didn't want to be called out on. Or maybe he was just gruff. Mm-hmm. How, how do I then approach the sacrament again when there's, when there's baggage attached to it? You know, a lot of people have baggage attached to it when it comes to, to confession. Because let's be honest, again, being honest and being vulnerable are difficult things to do. Yeah. And when we're vulnerable and perhaps someone is gruff with us, it can be difficult. But I think the thing to remember is the priest is not what's important mm-hmm. in that moment of confession. The priest is acting as a proxy for Christ. And sometimes, and I've had confessions where someone has been gruff with me, but I've also gone to confession enough time where I've had beautiful experiences as well, experiences that were liberating and experiences that brought me back into communion with the church in meaningful ways. And it's important to remember that the minister of the sacrament in that moment isn't what's important. What's important is realization that at the end of that confession that God has forgiven you. And so the speaking of those words. So even if you had a rough experience, I would suggest going back. I would suggest returning to the sacrament because of the healing that it can bring people. Perhaps if there's a person who you confide in already, maybe go stand in line with them. Have someone to be there as encouragement. Uh, We try to go as often as we can with the whole crew. And that's a little bit tricky because we've got a lot of kids. But but we, you know, it, it would be easier for mom and dad to trade off, yeah. right? Mom goes one week with a couple of kids, dad goes the next week with a couple of other kids that are the age, but then the littles wouldn't see it every single time. Yes. We want them to see that process that, hey, you know what? Mom and dad screw up too, and we're gonna go talk to the priest and ask for Jesus to forgive us. Well, that's one of the beautiful things about being at this convention is that when you stand on the confession line here, you're in line with a hundred other people yeah. who are there because you are. And so that sense that we kind of get when we sin, what the enemy wants to tell us, what the devil tries to tell us is that we're alone in that. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that other people are seeking God's mercy and seeking God's mercy often is a tangible reminder that we're part of a community which is seeking to follow Christ to the best of their ability and an imperfect community at that, but one that seeks perfection in Christ. Even in that, uh, going back to the idea of false talk, even in that confession line, it's amazing how often I'll feel like, well, yeah, but they, they didn't do anything as bad as I did, right? If, if, only, if only everyone knew, they would be looking at me and going, oh my gosh, look at him. Well, and again, I think that's the thing that the enemy tells us. And the enemy wants us to despair. An enemy wants us to be Judas. Yeah. An enemy wants us to believe, I have betrayed the Lord, then there's nothing that I can do to get back into the Lord's good graces, which is, of course manifestly absurd yeah because the lord runs to people who sin he came for us sinners that was the whole point of the incarnation yeah. and so the enemy is going to tell us that we're especially bad and the truth is we're not yeah 
the truth is, is that if you decide or you feel the desire to go to confession, then the Holy Spirit is already working in you, moving you towards reconciliation with God. It's one of the beautiful things of the saints, though, because we can look to St. Ignatius or we can look to uh, St. Peter or any of the other saints, the patron saints that we have and go, oh, uh, so at our table, at our booth here, we have a holy card of St. Jerome. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting to me to see which saint people pick up. And when they go to Jerome, I say, do you go to Jerome because you like scripture or because he gives you hope? Because he was such a curmudgeon. He was a curmudgeon. If I love him for it, being here, curmudgeon. <laughs> if, if he can make it to heaven, then, then, then surely I can too. Oh, and that's the thing about St. Ignatius. He struggled with scruples because his first 26 years were pretty bad. Yeah. We're pretty sure he's the only saint with an arrest record. He got arrested for brawling um, in his hometown um, because his family were, let's say, a group of rough individuals who yeah. maintained power through violence. Yeah. Um, and he was very much a part of that family. And yet, from that sin, from that difficulty, from that violence, from that vanity, from that pride, comes arguably one of the greatest saints in the church. Well, and of course you would think so. Father. Of course I would think so, but um, actually my favorite early companion is Peter Faber, who's yeah. the quiet of the, of the three founders of the society, the three primary founders, St. Francis Xavier, St. Ignatius Loyola, Peter Faber. He was the only priest among them when they started the journey. Um, but he quietly did his job and walked everywhere. And he struggled with scruples when he first started. Yeah. Um, and being able to overcome that and know Christ's mercy made him one of the greatest Jesuits in our history. We'll, we'll get back to this topic of, um, of discernment here in a, in a moment in the next segment. But uh, I, I'm looking at this first step, this first step of being honest with ourselves mm -hmm. and of being honest with, uh, vulnerable with ourselves, honest with our condition and finding comfort in the saints, in confession. Uh, and then you mentioned that it was going to mass a couple of times, specific times yeah. that, that helped you in that discernment journey. And uh, just in, in a couple of seconds, what's the place in Mass for you in that discernment journey? Mass is where I got literally fed by the Holy Spirit and by our Lord. It was one of those places where I could be myself honestly. Mm -hmm. It was a table that I didn't have to put on an image to be at. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why Mass and confession went hand in hand for me, because it was one of the few places where I could be honest with myself where no one cared what my job was, where I was going, who I was going to be, but really relished those moments with our Lord and those moments in that community as a member of the body of Christ. Yeah. And so it was, it, there was tremendous freedom in those moments of liturgy, in those moments of Eucharist, in the moments of Thanksgiving. We're talking today with Father Sean Haggerty. He's a, the Assistant Director and Promoter of Vocations for the USA East Province of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. You can learn more over at beajesuit.org. Come join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. We'll have a couple of pictures up there from this live uh, events. It's here at Seek Conference, Seek 23, uh, put on by Focus Fellowship of Catholic University students. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. You'll notice it sounds a little different if you're just joining us. We're coming to you live from the hallway. Uh, we don't we don't have our own little booth because this is kind of incognito. I didn't tell anyone we we're going to be doing this, uh, but we're sitting here in the hallway of the Seek 23 conference put on by Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Uh, this year, it's in St. Louis. Uh, next year, we'll find out soon. I'm not going to tell you, but I already know. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, if you've never been to Seek, it is well worth the experience. Uh, last night we had adoration. Well, first we had Sister Miriam James Heidland from Salt, uh, Father Joshua Johnson from down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, give fantastic talks, followed by a massive, well, 17,000 students in adoration with a giant procession. Uh, it was really encouraging. You know, the, a lot of times we have smaller regional conferences and it's so encouraging to see so many university students. These aren't necessarily theology students. These are people who are studying finance or uh, any, any number of you know, geology, any number of other things. Uh, and they're coming because they want to find a way to live out their faith in their lives, to sacralize their secular lives. Uh, and that's what we're called to do. Vatican II says of the laity that our job is to sanctify the, the world. The, the, the priests, the ministerial priesthood, they sanctify the church. Our job as part of the body of Christ, that incarnation, the continuing incarnation of Jesus Christ, is to sanctify the world. And this is a great place to get fed, to get energy, to be able to do just that, uh, to leave with some extra tools. Uh, and while, you, while you're here next time around, or those who are here right now, uh, there are vocation directors from all kinds of uh, dioceses around the country, religious orders uh, for both men and women religious. We're talking to one today, right now, Father Sean Haggerty, who is the assistant director of and promoter of vocations for the USA East Province of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, who have, I, I love all the orders, but you all have the coolest logo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we do. <laughs> Um, just a few days ago, actually, here at Seek, we celebrated the titular feast of the Society of Jesus, or the Holy Name, yeah. which for us was a great joy to be here um, as our namesake. Yeah. Jesus's name was celebrated. And of course, here in, the, in, the, in English, we say the Jesuits. Uh, it's also the Society of Jesus. But earlier, it was the Companions. It was the company, La Compañía in Spanish. And it was interesting that St. Ignatius, his spirituality and his visions, he was a mystic, uh, led him to want to be a companion in the same way that the early disciples and the apostles were, to be sent out on mission to go serve and build the Lord's kingdom in any way that the church needed. And so when St. Ignatius is writing to other Jesuits, he doesn't talk about the society, he talks about la compañía. Uh, as his as his way of doing it, and Jesuits actually is a name that was given to us by our enemies in England, uh, particularly during the reign of Elizabeth I, who um, she and the priest hunters thought of the Society of Jesus as being one of the greatest opponents to the Church of England, uh, as we send dozens of Jesuits to their deaths mm -hmm. uh, to minister to the Catholic faithful there. And so it was a name that was used against us, and we kind of took it on as a as a badge of honor, as we as we often do. So, Jesuits are often defined, I think, by their enemies. Mm -hmm. I think back 
let's go all the way back to St. Ignatius, who was captured by his enemies. Yes. And through that capture, needing something exciting to read, ended up reading the lives of Jesus and the saints, because th that was the only books they had. Yeah. Read Thomas Campus's Imitation of Christ, and, uh, and then he read the lives of the saints as well. And so, uh, really, you exist because of of the enemies of St. Ignatius well, to begin with. we exist because a very vain young Spaniard yeah. was bored and almost died. Yeah. And in his boredom decided to read these great texts. And the Holy Spirit took that small opportunity and yeah. took advantage of it. Speaking of being properly disposed to discernment, one of the things that we have done, we didn't get all the way through it, we need to get back to it, but as a family, sometimes we would sit down together, uh, either around the dinner table or right before dinner or before bed, and read just a little snippet of The Imitation of Christ. Mm -hmm. It's supremely accessible. And if you want to help your kids discern like St. Ignatius discerned, give them The Imitation of Christ, put the saints in front of them. Uh, but let's get back to this question of discernment. So we started, got to be honest with yourself. We've got to be in a place where we are disposing ourselves to be in proximity and relationship with God. Once we're there, going to Mass, going to confession, how can I discern between the multiple goods that God's created? So St. Ignatius tells us that everything in this world can bring us closer to God because God created all of them. But we need to pay attention to which ones are actually bringing us closer to God and which ones are not. And so what we look at is what Jesuits term consolation and desolation. And so St. Ignatius says this, if you imagine yourself in a particular state of life and that brings you joy and that brings you peace, pay attention to that. And they pay attention to how long it lasts. Hmm. And this for me was really important because I was thinking about a Jesuit vocation, which kind of scared me, but there was something so inviting and welcoming about that life and something that made me feel good that did bring me this deep sense of joy and then I thought about being married and having lots of stuff and being wealthy and that kind of brought me joy but the joy in the latter faded very quickly where I discerned the society for eight years and it was in those eight years every single time I thought about becoming a Jesuit it brought me joy yeah. And I, as much as I tried to avoid it, that joy was persistent. And so St. Ignatius would call that joy consolation. It's joy that I didn't want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't making me skip down the hallways. Right. But every single time I thought about it, I said, man, this is a worthwhile life. I'm kinda, I, I use a different word perhaps for the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, I heard a spiritual director of mine mm -hmm. A long time ago say God always speaks through peace yes things that are absolutely frightening to me and yet I have a sense of stability and, and solidness in them as opposed to things that might make me euphorically happy but nervous and well, anxious and this is a difference between when we talk about consolation and desolation I think a lot of people uh, swap those words for comfort and discomfort yeah and you can't make that swap because what we want is to feel affirmed and happy all the time, and that's not how the Holy Spirit moves us. When the Holy Spirit indicted St. Ignatius for his past life, that was not a comforting experience for him, but it was a consoling one, mm -hmm. because it pointed him towards Jesus Christ, and it pointed him towards conversion, and that conversion led to joy. Yeah. 
But I think so often we're told that, well, if I am anxious or something makes me uncomfortable, then I need to avoid it. And I say exactly the opposite. If something's making you uncomfortable, but it's coming from God, that's something we need to pay attention to because that's where God is trying to console you. And desolation, likewise, sometimes can make us feel happy. We can be in a bad relationship, in a relationship that is not leading us closer to Christ, and it can feel really good. But at the end of the day, because it's leading us away from Christ, it's not good for us, and it it destroys our soul. It makes us desolate. It leaves us empty. And so consolation and desolation have to be understood in what is bringing us, what is filling that reservoir of the Holy Spirit inside of us, what is filling us with true joy. And again, that takes honesty, introspection, it takes patience, and it takes courage. So often guys who are discerning with us say, I just wish God would be more clear, would drop a sign out of the sky and say, you should be a Jesuit. I go, well, what's going on in your prayer? And they go, well, when I think about being a Jesuit, it brings me joy. I feel a sense of peace. I think this is wonderful, but I'm scared. And I'm like, then maybe the thing you need to pray for is courage and not clarity, because it seems that you have the one. But because they lack that sense of comfort, not consolation, they think that perhaps this is not for me. And really, the Lord is in the midst of calling them. So distinguishing comfort, being comfortable and being consoled and being desolate and being discomforted yeah. are things that we need to separate from themselves. I recall a period of discernment in my mm-hmm. life specifically where I just wanted God to say, go here mm-hmm. or go there and, and have everything perfectly clear and figured out. And then I, then I wouldn't have to invest anything of my own other than to, to do the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I came around to this place where through that process, I realized that that end result was far less important to me and far less important to God than who I became. Yeah. What I became was far less important than who I became. And so it wasn't a matter of being perfectly clear. It was a matter of, am I going to be close to God and trust in him and follow day by day the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud wherever it goes? Or am I going to be whatever path I can find that's the easiest that's laid out for me step by step? And I think you bring up that word of trust, which is incredibly important. No Jesuit, when he enters the Nevisite on the first day, is 100% sure that this is exactly what God wants them to do. Because if they were, they probably didn't discern it properly. Right. Right. And when you enter the Nevisite, you continue that discernment. You, You take that time to settle in, quiet down experience some things that are rough. Jesuit Novitiate has you in hospitals. It has you in prisons. I I worked with migrants on the border. It stretched me. It pushed me. It made me uncomfortable. Well, there's even some part of the process, and I apologize if if it's the wrong place, where they they drop you off and say, have fun. Yeah, depending on the province that you're in, you will get a bus ticket. You will get 40 bucks and a letter, and they will say, you want to go to this place? Best of luck. And you're on the road and you depend upon God's providence to provide for you. Yep. Um, and that's what the early society did. For my experience of that was going to the Kino Border Initiative and working for migrant, with migrants for a month and a half. And I would walk from the Jesuit community around into Nogales, Mexico, to the Comador or the dining room where we fed right. 300 migrants a day yeah. um, and sat with these people who... I really didn't know and, and realized that they were beloved children of God as well. And was it difficult? Yes. Was it one of the most consoling experiences of my life? 
Yes, because to encounter Christ and his people and in his poor, in the poor, changed my life. Yeah. It was difficult, but again, it was a moment of consolation. Yeah. We're talking today again with, with Father Sean Haggerty. He is the Assistant Director and Promoter of Vocations for the USA East Province of the Society of Jesus. I just want to hit maybe a couple of final thoughts here, Father. Um, as we are spending our time in discernment, looking for that peace and that abiding joy, um, so often I think that we think discernment is about go left or go right. Mm-hmm. Or, as you mentioned, some men enter thinking, well, I've got, I've got to know what I'm going to be before I go in. Um, discernment is a long process and you don't have to know the end from the beginning. In fact, you can't know the end from the beginning, otherwise you're not discerning. Right. Uh, I, I had a friend priest of mine and I said, when did you know you were going to be a priest? And he said, well, when the bishop came to lay his hands on me. <laughs> and I have so many people that I know who have gone through seminary and leave seminary and they feel the shame of leaving seminary imposed on them from others because, oh, well, you didn't make it. You failed. You failed because the goal was you being a priest and you failed. And we forget that the goal of seminary and the goal of formation at any formation house for religious is to discern not only for the person going through the formation, but for the formation team to discern whether that person should be a part of the community. And so I look at my friends who have gone through seminary and then left, and I see that as a deep success of vocation and a deep success of, discer- of discernment because they have discerned, if not what their vocation is, at least what it's not. I think sometimes we put a false dichotomy in front of ourselves where we say, I have to discern between this good thing and this bad thing. And St. Ignatius tells us very clearly, we never discern about bad things. Bad things are bad things. They're evil things. We don't do those things. Yeah. So when we're discerning, we're discerning between goods. Yeah. We're discerning between two possible paths that that or three or four paths that Christ is calling. Is he calling you to be married? Is he calling you to be a priest? Is he calling you to be a religious brother? Is he calling you to a chaste single life? All of those are good and valid ways of living a Catholic life. Now, where is God calling you? That process of discernment is ongoing. Now, when I entered the Jesuits, I had to discern whether I wanted to take vows and my novice master had to discern whether I was available to take those vows. When I finished Regency, our teaching experiment, my friends who were teachers were asked to write letters and send them to my provincial to say, do you think that this person is capable of being a priest and serving the people of God in this way? And my provincial discerned with those letters and those commentaries. Before I was named a deacon, it was the same thing. I had to discern whether I wanted to be ordained and I had to send a letter. The process is ongoing. Now, when I, entered, when I took vows as a Jesuit, I vowed that I would stay in the society forever, right. take perpetual vows. But it's not a one and done life. Right. St. Paul tells us that the Christian life is a race. Yeah. And it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Living a vocation is waking up every day and making the ch- conscious choice to follow Christ in that day. And that's something that I think a lot of young people struggle with because when we think about it in that way, it means that it's a challenge. Well, just leaving us with this last thought, Mm -hmm. I think that so much of life 
as much as it's a challenge, mm -hmm. would be so much easier if we made that decision. Yeah. Today, I'm going to follow after Christ. And so then when the choice comes up, it's not what are these five things I do? It's is this bringing me closer to Christ in obedience or is it not? Yeah. And then and then that that flow chart yes or no mm -hmm. answered is done. And it becomes clearer and clearer the longer you do it. And it's a wonderful thing. Talking today again with Father Sean Haggerty. He's the Assistant Director of, and Promoter of Vocations for the USA East Province of the Society of Jesus. Go to beajesuit.org, uh, sign up or sign up your favorite. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> but, but encourage uh, the young men in your life to consider and discern their own vocation. Father Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to be Thanks with us. Thanks for having me, Teal. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Sean Haggerty, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there at the website, you can follow the podcast archive so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, you can also click that Patreon link to learn more about our Patreon support community that helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we give them extra segments each and every week, including this week, a little bit more of a conversation with Father Sean about his vocation story and a few other nuggets. Learn more at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now, let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That reading again comes from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you say that, how do, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel like the new has come? Do you feel like you are a new creation? The truth is, we are in Christ. We have been through baptism, through confirmation, through the reception of the sacraments, we have been made new creations. And that means that all of these things that we struggle with, all of the things that are the uncertainty, um, 
The truth of the matter is we are gods. We belong to him and he has made us new. And not only has he made us new, but then he has made us to share in his nature and given us a share in his mission, making us ministers of reconciliation. And if that feels like a bridge too far or a thing too big, I want to encourage you, as Father said earlier, put yourself in a place where you are disposed to receive God's grace. Uh, Peter in the Petrine Epistles says to his audience, he says, I know you already know this, but I want to stir you up by way of a reminder. And sometimes we need that reminder, whether it's an external reminder or whether we look ourselves in the mirror and say, it is good that I exist and God has reconciled me to himself and made me a sharer in his nature and made me a sharer in his mission. And to ask God in prayer to give you the boldness and the strength and to grow in virtue so that you can go out and live that, uh, that mission to the full. Our reading today from Church History comes from a, a sermon by Baldwin of Canterbury. The Lord knows the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Without a doubt, every one of them is known to him, while we know only those which he lets us read by the grace of discernment. The spirit of man does not know all that is in man, nor all of the thoughts which he has, willingly or unwillingly. Man does not always perceive his thoughts as they really are. Having clouded vision, he does not discern them clearly with the mind's eye. Often, under the guise of devotion, a suggestion occurs to our mind coming from our own thoughts or from another person or from the tempter, and in God's eyes we do not deserve any reward for our virtue. For there are certain imitations of true virtues as also of vices which play tricks with the heart and bedazzle the mind's vision. As a result, the appearance of goodness often seems to be in something which is evil, and equally, the appearance of evil seems to be in something good. This is part of our wretchedness and ignorance, causing us anguish and anxiety. It has been written, There are paths which seem to man to be right, but which, in the end, lead him to hell. To avoid this peril, St. John gives us these words of advice. Test the spirits and see if they are from God. Now, no one can test the spirits to see if they are from God unless God has given him discernment of spirits to enable him to investigate spiritual thoughts, inclinations, and intentions with honest and true judgment. Discernment is the mother of all the virtues. Everyone needs it either to guide the lives of others or to direct and reform his own life. In the sphere of action, a right thought is one ruled by the will of God, and intentions are holy when directed single-mindedly toward Him. In a word, we could see clearly through any action of ours or into our entire lives if we had a simple eye. A simple eye is an eye, and it is simple. <laughs> this means that we see by right thinking what is to be done, and by our good intention we carry it out with simple honesty because deceitful action is wrong. Right thinking does not permit mistakes. A good intention rules out pretense. This, then, is true discernment, 
a combination of right thinking and good intention. Therefore, we must do all our actions in the light of discernment, as if in God and in His presence. That reading again comes from a sermon by Baldwin of Canterbury. It can be overwhelming when we read the writings of a saint and this saint who was, you know, obviously saintly, uh, obviously advanced in the spiritual life, and in this case also a bishop, when they when they look and say, oh, this is an easy prospect. I mean, yeah, you you shouldn't expect to do it immediately, but you just need to be simple. You need a simple mind, a simple eye. And and it can feel a little bit like, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a saint, right? But I look at this, and there's one thing that he says in here specifically that I think is very helpful to us, and it's this. In the sphere of action, a right thought is one ruled by the will of God, and intentions are holy when directed single-mindedly toward Him. In our process of discernment, as we're looking towards where it is that God is wanting to guide us, uh, what it is that he's wanting to do in us, this is a great place to start. And this goes back to what Father was talking about in terms of the consolations and desolations. Are my thoughts, are my actions ruled by the will of God? Earlier in the letter to the Corinthians, we hear that the love of God compels us. Are we listening to the love of God? Are we disposing ourselves to the love of God so that we can experience it to the point that we recognize God's goodness and are compelled by that goodness to be ruled by that good one will of God and to have our intentions be wholly directed single-mindedly toward God? It, it seems like, well, there's so many other steps before you get there. Well, possibly. But I think of those steps as in shedding weights, right? We, in fact, we see this in another of Paul's letters, says, uh, or in the book of Hebrews, rather. It says, therefore, let us cast aside the, the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us throw off the weights that hinder us and press on toward Christ. So to, for us all to set our minds single-mindedly on hearing and obeying God, not thinking about, well, okay, but it's going to be difficult to obey God. Well, it's going to challenge us, but like Mary, we can look at the situation trusting in God's goodness and say, wow, I, I don't understand how this thing that you're calling me to can possibly happen. But nevertheless, let it be done to me according to thy word. And in doing that, we won't have to worry about making the right decision because being single-mindedly focused on the will of God, he will guide us by the right paths. As it says in the Psalms, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. You can learn more about our Patreon support community at outsidethewalls.com under the Patreon link. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.